son therefore shall make you free, he shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our November 20th, 2011 study, and today it'll, it's going to be a, a two-part study, and the first part is going to be a Bible study on faith, charity, New Testament commandments, and the New Covenant, essentially. And um, in the second part, uh, we're going to get into uh, some subjects dealing with the Illuminati and uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, what they call an Illuminati Grand Dam uh, named Doris Duke. And we're going to talk about that in, uh, in a separate, these are going to be separate dedicated studies, essentially. So I'm going to go ahead and get study, started on the Bible study on faith, charity, New Testament commandments, and the New Covenant first. And I've covered some of these in the uh, Hebrew Roots teachings I've done. But I've added to this particular one and kind of zeroed in just on those, on the title of what we're going to be covering today. And uh, this is actually, I think about four pages regarding the PDF that will be online, but it's actually in totality 35 pages. Most of it I'm not going to be covering because I've already covered it in times past and uh, relates a lot to the, um, the teachings that I've done on the Hebrew Roots movement and the Sabbath. And I'll get into that a little bit at the end just to kind of give you, so you have all that material, so you're kind of aware of what is being presented here today. So let's just look at, this is just going to be pure Bible verses, nothing else. And you make up your own mind regarding uh, what the Bible would, uh, I believe, clearly teach. And it's something that, you know, you want to pray about ahead of time, uh, asking, as a born-again Bible-believing Christian, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you and um, to guide you and to direct you. And uh, we're going to be just be looking at some very, uh, really obvious what the Bible's saying here. And that's all we're really going to be doing. I think it's just a matter of a lot of times having the verses together in totality so that you can examine them with a critical eye. So Romans 4.2 says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. So if he truly was justified by works, Abraham, okay, he would have a reason to glory, but not before God, essentially. Now, remember, all these verses are going to kind of build on one another. Romans 5.1 then goes on to say, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're actually justified through faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in our own works, in other words. Um, that's how we're actually one of the ways that we're actually justified in God's eyes. 1 John 5, 1-5 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Now we're going to be specifically looking at these commandments, because a lot of times... People that are in the Hebrew roots, or particularly Seventh-day Adventists, they just go right to the Sabbath. It's like, that's the only commandment in the Bible ever given that even matters. They zero in on that one thing. Okay, And again, uh, I have covered this in specific teachings, but we're actually going to be looking at what the Bible says regarding that issue in the New Testament. Um, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world. He, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, now it's very important to be an overcomer in the day and times we're living in. The overcomers are the ones that really are are, are, are going to not prove their salvation by works, but just it's just the fruit of salvation is being of true salvation, of true conversion, is being an overcomer. And this is why we're going to be tested. In some way, shape, or form, all of us are, are tested in a Christian walk. Now, that's only going to get worse. Now, there's some people in other countries that have already, you know, obviously, if you lived in China or uh, certain parts of Africa, and there's people that are martyred every day all over the earth. And we're just not made aware of it. And the modern day churches really don't say a whole lot about it. And I just talked about that last week where the 52% of the pastors, I believe, don't even mess around with it, with that subject at all, because it's a downer. And they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be a downer. Oh, there's, there's Christians dying, you know, all over the planet. There's been, you know, the Roman Catholic Church killed 50 million people during the Inquisition. There's been all these millions of people slaughtered. And, and, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Word of God, and you know they don't they don't emphasize that they don't talk about it. It's you know the, that's an example of an overcomer, essentially. Not not to say everybody's going to be martyred, but um, that is a, one way. That's the ultimate test of an overcomer. First John three twenty two through twenty four says, and whosoever and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another. As he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth Keepeth his commandments, dwelleth in him, and he in him. How how do they how does he dwell in us? Well, through the Holy Spirit when you're saved. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he giveth us. So we keep okay. So because we keep his commandments, um, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son. Jesus Christ, and love one another. Seems to be, well, I just gave you two verses where that is the main, main, main thing emphasized. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, and ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I don't know about you, but if I'm around another born-again Christian, I, I can't help but love them. It's not even an effort. It's really not. I mean, I understand you're not always going to see eye-to-eye with everybody and, and this and that. And, and I do think there's a ton of wolves in sheep's clothing in the churches. So we also need to have discernment. But... Really, when you're when you're really around another true born again Bible believing Christian, and you know it, it's really for me, it's really not much of an effort to try to love the person. I can't help but love the person. 
but that's not me. That's not like Scott Johnson. That's the Holy Spirit. It, it lives inside me as a born again Christian. So even that is not of works. It's just I think it's just a byproduct of being saved to a certain extent. Now, if you don't feel the same way, you know that I do. It, it, it's something you know you would need to pray about. Um, and the biggest thing is making sure you're saved. And again, it's kind of an evidence of salvation. You know, and then you got the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, you know, long-suffering, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, temperance. Those are also fruits of the Spirit. Another thing that you should expect to see in somebody who's truly saved is chastisement. The Bible says if ye be without chastisement, essentially as a born-again Bible-believing Christian, then if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. For whom God loveth, you know, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. So, if you're his kid, it's just like if you have your children, you have a right to discipline them, spank them, or whatever. Chastisement is the same thing. If you're not his, and you can go and sin and have no real conscience about it, or it doesn't bother you that much, and you're, there's no chastisement on your life whatsoever, and there's not a whole lot of fruit of the Spirit, if there's any. And you really have no love for the brethren at all. I mean, these are things, these would be evidences that should greatly concern you if you think, if you're calling yourself a born-again Christian, and all of those attributes are happening, those negative attributes I just mentioned, then you really need to, to um, assess things, and there's a good, very, very high likelihood you're not saved at all. Now, if that's the case, you need to go to contendingfortruth.com, and at the very top of the website, there's a, uh, a salvation tab, and listen to those teachings in the order presented, because it, it's a progression. It's, it talks about salvation, and then um, baptism, and then overcoming. Again, we talked a little bit about overcoming, but I've done a whole teaching on that. And then um, bearing the cross of Christ, that's another thing. Those are all separate issues I've already done separate specific teachings on. Which, that, uh, those, all those teachings that the order listed kind of heavily relates to what we're, we're talking about today. But today we're just kind of zeroing in on some specific scriptures. Um, and really wanting to do this as an encouragement as well. I mean, I know a lot of the times the stuff I mentioned is, is somewhat negative, or really negative, I guess, from a temporal standpoint. But, um... Overall, this should be an encouragement to you, this teaching. So, let's go further here. Okay, so we, we talked about a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Um, then the next verse, John 15, 12-13 says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. True. Um, and this is what Jesus Christ did for us. To show that there was no greater love. So that, he, you know, he was uh, the supreme example of that, of that verse, essentially. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So again, a lot of times people in the Hebrew Roots movement or in Seventh-day Adventists want to bring you back into the law. They want to bring you back into bondage. They want to just key on Old Testament 
Levitical law, and particularly the new te- the the um, the uh, Sabbath. That's where they really like to focus in on. Okay, and again, I've done several teachings on Sunday versus the Sabbath that you can key in. Just key in Sunday or Sabbath in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. It's an extremely important issue. Uh, it's an issue that has reared its ugly head in a gigantic way in the last, I'd say, 20, 30 years. I don't think this was near as much of an issue um, 100 years ago, other than maybe with the Seventh-day Adventists, which were, I'm sure, a lot smaller at that point, because they were just in their infancy. It's just one of the many end-time cultic, pseudo-Christian cults that have cropped up in the last hundred years or so. In the very time that we were warned about most in the Bible, just see Matthew 24, 24, or, well, Matthew 24, 24, if, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But Matthew 24 in general, take heed that no man deceive you. Jesus Christ says said that over several times. To not be deceived regarding the end times. So we need to be on guard today more than ever in the history of mankind for really religious cults, just one of the things that we need to be on guard against, and then, you know, also a lot of the other deceptions that are out there. And that's why this ministry pretty much exists to try to expose those things, to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, and to have no fellowship with them, so that you don't fall into the same trap as maybe I was in at one point, or other people around you are already in. Because there's traps everywhere. I cannot keep up with all the cults, and the heresy, and the apostasy, and the blasphemy. I can't do it. I'm just scratching the surface every week, doing a little bit. Um, I just There's no way any one person could keep up with it all. So, let's go forth, further here. Okay, this is really easy to lose my, (laughs) where I'm at here. Okay, so, again, going back to Romans 13, 8 through 10. Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, Hebrew roots people don't want to hear that. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I don't know how much clearer I can make it now. Again, I've done dedicated studies on all of these subsets of things that we could branch out on. All this, all this study is really doing is confirming all of the other studies I've done in the past, really just confirming the Bible. It's not like world according to Scott Johnson. It's just, what does the Bible say? Okay, so let's go further here. Uh, Galatians 6.2 Bear ye one another's burdens... And so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens. Which which in a way would also be loving your brother and loving your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, it would be part of that. That whole concept there. So, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Of Christ. 
Not the Old Testament Levitical law and all the ceremonial stuff that surrounded that. Now, I'm not saying there's not wisdom that can't be gleaned from Levitical law or even a lot of the ceremonial stuff that they that they did. And I've done I did a whole teaching on the uh, wisdom of the Levitical dietary guidelines. And you can just key in dietary or guidelines or Levitical in the keyword search box, and if you want to explore that. So there's definitely wisdom that can be derived. And, and when it comes to mor- moral issues that the law went over, yes, there's a ton that can be derived. So um, I want to also make that, that clear as well. Acts 15.24 For as much as ye have heard that certain which went out from, abo- from, from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. And and here we have all these people that are wrapped up in Messianic Judaism, Hebrew Roots Movement, whatever you want to call it. And I understand there's different flavors and there's certain aspects of it, of that movement that are less apostate than others. I still would totally avoid it. A little leaven leaven at the whole lump. So let me read that again, because that's really important too, very confirmatory. Acts 15.24, For as much as ye have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. In other words, there were people that were with them at one point, called themselves born-again Bible-believing Christians, but inwardly, I believe they were ravening wolves. Because they went out from among us, now they're troubling them with words. And then it says, subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. And at this point, you're, all you're dealing with in the New Testament, at this point in the New Testament, are Jews. And they even said, to whom we gave no such commandment. The Jews were saying this. I mean, the apostles were all Jews. And this is where we, we derive the New Testament from. 1 Timothy 1, 5-7 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity. So now we're getting, we're getting um, an expansion on the end of the law, the end of the commandment, the fulfilling of the law, the law of Christ, which is where we're at now. The end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved, have have turned aside again to vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. Exactly. Exactly, Mr. Seventh-day Adventist, or Mr. Hebrew Roots Movement guy, or woman. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor whereof they affirm. I mean, it's like this is, and there's so much. In other words, there's a lot in the New Testament that speaks specifically to Jews, in particular, that had come out of the Jewish religion, said they were saved, and then they 
they went out from them again, and then they tried to actually bring them these people back under bondage. You don't believe me? Read Galatians. <laughs> I mean, Galatians by itself, I don't know what anybody in, involved in, in the Hebrew Roots movement or Messianic Judaism or those branches, I don't know what they would do with Galatians. I think this is a big reason that, that um, Paul's been attacked in the Bible a lot by different pseudo-Christian cults where there's a big move to demonize Paul. There's a big move to demonize Paul in the New Age movement as well. You know, and that's been a huge thing. That that could that could turn that into a whole other teaching, a whole other subject on that. So the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart, of a good conscience, of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, having turned aside unto vain jangling, Basically, vain jangling, speaking things, vain things, things coming out of their mouth that, they, that you know, ultimately that they neither understand what they say nor where they affirm. The Bible talks about in the next verse. But they're desiring to be teachers of the law. Why? Because the demons in them are emanating and operating through them to bring you into bondage. To bring you into some types of some type of works-based salvation, which is what every cult on the planet seeks to do. There's only two religions on the planet. That's it. Two religions, if you really boil it down. There's your works-based demon garbage cult, which would include all your isms, Islam, Buddhism, Catholicism, Mormonism, Every one of these, doesn't matter which one, every, even Satanism, they're all based on you doing certain things in order to get wherever you're trying to get to. Whether that's nirvana, paradise, heaven, hell, it doesn't matter. There's only two religions on the planet. And then there's true Bible-believing Christianity. Okay, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And again, then you get into a whole teaching on salvation, which I've already done that. And to further expand on that, you, I would recommend you listen to that one at the top of ContendingForTruth.com. Just click on the salvation, uh, true salvation tab. So, there's, there's just so much of this today, this desiring to be teachers of the law. Um, and even though I've done a lot of studies on it, it's, it's something that's good to touch base on from now and then. Now, it says, now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart. So, let's look up what does charity mean. Because a lot of people think it means, it means going up to goodwill and dropping off some uh, used clothes or something. It's a little more than that. It's a whole lot more than that, actually. Charity. And I'm just looking at it, okay, let's look at what does the actual um, word in the Greek mean from a lexicon, and what does the actual word charity mean from the Noah Webster 1828 Dictionary, which more, much more closely defines the words as they were written in the King James Bible. Charity, as far as the lexicon results, Strong's, um, it's derived from the word agape because you've heard the word agape love. Okay. Outline of the biblical usage. It means affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, brotherly love. A lot of what we just talked about. You know what I mean? I mean, that's pretty much 
what we were just going into. You know, that you love one another, you love your, your, um, your brother, you know, you love your neighbor, you do good to your neighbor, these types of things. So, again, the end of the command is charity. Well, that would confirm all of the other things that we just talked about in the previous verses. It's defined as love 86 times in the New Testament, as charity 27 times, uh, in the word dear as one time, and then there's feast of charity derived as that one time. It's used 116 times in the um, authorized King James Version. Now, the 1828 definition of charity, in a theological sense, it includes supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. See 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 3, and 1 Timothy 1. And then the second definition, in a more particular sense, love, kindness, affection, tenderness, springing from natural relations, as the charities of the Father, Son, and Brother. Third definition, liberality to the poor, consisting of almsgiving or benefactions or in gratuitous services to relieve them in distress. Uh, Fourth definition, alms, whatever is bestowed gratuitously on the poor for their relief. Uh, Fifth definition, liberality in gifts and services to promote public objects of utility as to found and support Bible societies, missionary societies, and others. Okay? So now we're getting the real broad biblical definition of what does that word charity mean? Well, we're giving it to you right here. And again, I, I will have this, it's going to be a 35-page PDF. It will be associated with this teaching on November 20th, 2011. And then the last definition is any act of kindness or benevolence as the charities of life. So it's a, it's a rather broad uh, term in this regard. It's not like... Most of the time, if you if you were just to think of it in today's day and age, oh charity, oh yeah charity, they're like goodwill or Red Cross or something like that. It's way beyond that, way beyond that, as you can see from the definition. So I wanted to I wanted to really key in on that one word because the Bible says specifically that the end of the commandment is charity. Okay, so let's look at this further. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, knowledge will puff up if it's just knowledge apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if I'm over here and, well, you look at Romans 1 where it says, um, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Actually, the verse I was thinking of is professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and worshipped the creature rather than the creator. That's in Romans 1. And then it goes on to talk about, you know, men burning after men, women burning after women, and leaving the natural use of the body, and them being given over to a reprobate mind. But it starts there in that particular part of the Bible in Romans 1 with being unthankful. And then professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Why? They were puffed up with secular, worldly knowledge. Now, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. It's also the beginning of knowledge. So knowledge, true knowledge, is not a bad thing. We're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he get an advantage of us. 
we don't have knowledge about a particular issue that's like unbiblical or horrific or hurting a lot of people, then how do we even know to pray about it? Satan would desire to keep us in the dark about those things so that we wouldn't have that knowledge. So bear in mind, knowledge puffeth up, but let's put it in the right context there. Uh, but charity edify. But I hate to say this, but I think a lot of people that get into ministry and they get a lot of um, people slapping them on the back and uh, let's say you know they yoke up with the government with all their corporate statuses and they do this and they do that. And uh, I think that a lot of them end up getting puffed up because of knowledge, because of flattery because of a lot of different reasons. you got to really guard against that. Take heed lest you fall. Consider the pit from which you're dug. Because that's... I, I see it happen so much. And uh, I'm not saying I'm not above it. Or, or like that I'm better than anyone else. It's just that it, it is something you have to really guard against. Particularly if you're listening to these teachings, it can happen to you as well. Because you're one of... The very, 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 very few on planet Earth that's, that's actually being exposed to the biblical truth that pertain to the days and times we live in. 99.9% of the churches are not giving the big picture. They're not getting into the issues that we're dealing with that are going to be a major in-your-face factor in the very near future. And again, we cover tons of different issues, but they're important. Satan hasn't devoted all this effort to all these different deceptions and all these different evils going on on planet Earth just to just, for none of them to, to, to come to fruition, for, for none of that ever to come to a head. There's reasons, and I'm trying to prepare my listeners for those reasons. I'm not saying I'm the only ministry up there doing that. But if you look at the broad spectrum, most people that will call themselves Christians aren't exposed to this type of information that we get into. So, going further, 1 Corinthians 13.1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profit, profiteth me nothing. Now, you would say, well, aren't those attributes of charity, the stuff we just mentioned? Feeding the poor, giving your body to be burned, ultimately, no, greater love no, hath no man than this, and he lay down his life for his friend. And um, Let's say you had the gift of prophecy, and you had tons of faith, and you could remove mountains. Yeah, but... There's a Bible verse that would pertain to that. The gifts and callings of the Lord are without repentance. You can be given great gifts from God and those gifts are yours. They're without repentance. And you could use those gifts and do a lot of the things that they're talking about here. Even faith. Even feeding the poor. Uh, giving your body to be burned. But... If you're not doing it with charity in your heart, it profiteth you nothing. Charity, I, 
and again, we're going to give the actual um, more a broader definition of this. In other words, I've seen tracks out there that relay where, like that one flight one forty four from Chick. I think it was it would be a good example. It's called flight one forty four, and um, it gives an example of a guy. I believe that it just got saved in prison, and he was a really bad guy, he was a murderer, all these things. He gets on this plane, and he meets this missionary couple, and they, um, they're they talking, and the missionary, um, the, the guy basically realizes that the missionary couple isn't even saved. They're tro- totally, totally, totally trusting in all their works, which this would be kind of like that, you know? You've got, you know, goods to feed the poor and giving your body to be burned. Those, those literally could be considered works if you were trusting in those for your salvation. And the guy's like, the guy's like, you know, I've been a murderer and all this other stuff and I haven't done any of the stuff you've done, but you're not even saved because you're trusting in your own works. And the guy's like, well, I've done this and I've done that. And, and then the guy dies, the, the plane goes down, and the guy dies and he stands before... Uh, God, probably both of them. I, it's been a long time since I read that track, but and God's like, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. You were never actually saved. You were totally trusting in your works, and you weren't. You were doing it not for me, not for God. You were doing it basically for yourself. You were trusting in those works to earn your way into heaven, which again is the biggest religion on the planet. And it doesn't matter what cult you cite, or even if it's a, if it's a uh, a religion of your own design. Like my parents, up until the time they got saved. Well, okay, they weren't in any formal religious system. Didn't matter; they were still on their way to hell. Why? Well. I don't really believe that God would send people to hell, and, and I don't even think I believe in hell. And well, you've just created your own religious system. You've just created your own religion when you when you go into it. There's a lot of people that are going to go to hell because of that. I don't know if that one would be the biggest religion on the planet. I don't know, but they're trusting in some religion they've created in their own, in their own head that their heart can handle. But the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? According to Jeremiah 17, 9, he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. So, you got to be careful with that. And so I said, I gave you that example to understand the first part of this 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, 3. So you can kind of understand, yes, if those things were done with the right heart motive regarding as a born-again Bible-believing Christian, then they would be a good thing. But they can literally, there's a lot of works that people are trusting in to earn their way into heaven. So let's go further. The next verse says, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and again, this is another definition of charity, if you think about it. This is, this is a, um, the biblical definition of charity, or one of them. Attributes of charity. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Now, in other words, those would be 
the attributes of a Christian displaying charity. Long-suffering, kindness, not going around envying, which would lead to jealousy. Charity vaunteth not itself, meaning it's, it's not like vaunted up. I, I don't want to be first in line. The Bible says they that are, are they that are uh, many will be that are last on earth will be first in heaven, and many that are first on earth will be last in heaven. Okay. Let those that are greatest among you let them be your servant. That's what the Bible says. Which is you know vaunting itself would fall into that thing. I'm, I'm vaunting myself. I'm, I'm wanting to have the preeminence the highest seat in the temple, those types of things. I want to be noticed. Okay? And is not puffed up. And then that would, that would in, include, obviously, pride. Puffed up. Okay, charity never faileth. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let all your things be done with charity. And above all, these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So, it's really super mega important, according to the Bible, this issue of charity. It's really, I've heard it defined as the highest expression of biblical love. It would be like the total package of love, wrapped up into one term. As you can see, the definition is pretty broad, what it would encompass. I've actually given you three definitions. The one we just read from the Bible. Um, the one from the lexicon, the Greek word it was actually derived from, and actually the one from 1828, Noah Webster's Dictionary. I don't really know how much more I can fully define it, but I want you to, if there was one word you really want to know the, the mega deepest meaning on, that would be one of the most important words in the Bible to understand that about. So, let's go further. 1 Peter 4.8, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves... For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, this one's not super mega clear, but I think it implies, above all, having fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. How would that play out? Okay, here's an example I think that, that how that could play out. And I've seen, I've seen examples of this. Like, there was this example I saw one time. This one guy was going to go, like, murder his girlfriend or something. He had a gun, he was on his way there, it was a done deal. A preacher intercepts him on his way there. The preacher knows him, and the preacher essentially, through the love he shows the man, talks him out of doing what he was planning on doing. So in other words, that wicked act, which was going to be committed, didn't, never was committed. That is an exa- Now, that man was showing him charity. He took the time, he took the effort, he, he made the effort, he, he showed him Christian love, I don't know, what he might have said or did in order to uh, avert the situation, and really by the power of the Holy Spirit. But whatever it was, it covered that sin. That sin never even happened. I think that's what this verse means, to a certain extent. And there's probably a lot of other examples you could think of where that would be the case. But that's a neat verse. That's a neat verse. Uh, 1 John 2, 8-11, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him that is in you, because the dark is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. 
Now, does that mean that you can have, you know, are you always going to see eye to eye and, and live in perfect harmony and peace with every one of the born-again, Bible-believing Christians around you? No, it doesn't mean that. But literally hating your brother or sister in Christ, um, not a good thing. Not a good thing. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. This is why you have to really guard against bitterness. Because the Bible says the root of bitterness springeth up and defileth many. It's a root. It takes hold in your life. If you become bitter, or jealous, or envious, and that root of bitterness springs up toward, let's say it's another, born again, it's, it's like a cancer that literally can eat you away. Uh, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has, hath blinded his eyes. So, that's... Uh, and, and again, it's a contrasting verse of the verses we first gave you, where it talked about um, fulfilling the law of Christ, loving your, your brother, loving the Lord, and these types of things. This is a contrast verse. Regarding that, not contradictory, but it's it's giving you the opposite side of the the coin to to give you a further uh, an expansion on the definition of that concept. Okay, so let's go further here. First John four nineteen through twenty one. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Again, it's more of an expansion on some of the the very first verses I got into in the study at the start. John 14.21 He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him. And will manifest myself to him. John 15.10 Now that's, that was Jesus Christ talking. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Matthew 7.12 Which essentially is called the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye also unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. Again, we have an we have a now this is coming straight from Jesus Christ as he was transitioning them out of the Old Testament Levitical system of law to this concept of agape love, of charity, of faith, of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, of loving your brother, of loving your neighbor, of loving your God. All things whatsoever that ye would mend... I mean, that's... That's how you want to be treated, right? Do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. Okay, it's how you hear it expressed in the, uh, let's say, secular definition, a kind of, 
Because I had I had this one guy one time, and he, he thought he was going to pin me down. He says, oh, yeah, where's that in the Bible? Because he thought this guy was a... Uh, uh, he was a Jew. Um, unfortunately, he was a very wicked person. And um, he thought he was going to pin me down on this particular verse. And I, and I, I had emailed him back, and I said, uh, it was a guy I actually worked with. He was actually my boss. And uh, I said, that's a great question. And I, I told him, I said, that actual saying is derived from this verse. <laughs> well, therefore, all things whatsoever you would, that men would do to you, do you also unto them. That's where the golden rule comes from. You know, because I had, I was writing him and writing this company that I was working for at the time. And they were trying to get me to do things that were, I'm not saying they were illegal, but they were gray. It was like borderline stuff that I was uncomfortable doing. I wouldn't do it. I flat out told them, like, I'm not going to do this. And here's why. You know. And I had given him that verse, you know, uh, or that that saying, the golden rule. And he says, oh yeah, where's that? (laughs) I came back to him. That kind of shut him up. But uh, that's how we should live our lives. You know, would you want that done to you? I mean, if you treat a certain person a certain way, you have to ask yourself, would you like to be treated that way? That's essentially the golden rule. So, um, and then it goes on to say, when you treat people this way, okay, do unto others as you would have done unto yourself, essentially. This is the law and the prophets. The fulfillment Essentially, of that, and we gave you a whole other litany of verses already that that also expanded on fulfilling the law or the end of the law and these types of things. We're going to get more into this. Matthew twenty two thirty six through forty. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And this is uh, one of the I believe disciples asking Jesus. Uh, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It says it right there. Now again, the verses I gave you previously in this teaching, those expand on what Jesus was starting here. It's an expansion. Matthew twenty three eleven. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. I just talked about that earlier. So that's how God looks at things. Who's the greatest servant? Because that's who God looks as as being the greatest. And they that are last will be first. Do you seek to be last when you I mean you always gotta be first in line or you gotta be, you know, whatever? Actually, it's best to be, seek to be last. Matthew twenty three eleven. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Now, again, I'm not... Again, also, please don't um, confuse the fact that I think that I'm the quintessential essence of all these verses and I've perfected all of this stuff. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. <laughs> At all. If I got what I deserved, I'd get death and hell. And I'm, I'm preaching as much to myself as I was as I would be anyone else listening to this. So I'm not trying to elevate myself 
and say that I've mastered all of this and I've conquered all these... Ver- no, please. No. Um, we strive for perfection as Christians, uh, but we're not going to be literally perfected until we're with Jesus Christ. So, going further here, um, Matthew 23, 12, which is the next verse after he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So if you exalt yourself, if you try kind of basically like blowing your own horn, you know, you're going to be abased. If you're a born-again Bible-believing Christian, you will be humbled. You will be chastened. Before honor is humility. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's in the Proverbs. That confirms this verse. A haughty spirit before a fall. But he that humble himself shall be exalted. So it's the Lord's looking for humility out of his followers. That's what, I think it's from, the, from a biblical standpoint, it's one of the only things that you can do that I think God really, really pleases God is to humble yourself before him. Humility is where it's at. If you, don't, if you don't feel like you have that, then pray for it. But I would pray for fear of God in connection with humility because fear of God breeds humility, according to the Bible. And it's just a byproduct if you study the scriptures. So, uh, going further, Hebrews 12.24, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Abel brought, you know, his sacrifice before God. The blood of sprinkling, a literal blood sacrifice. But the but Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new covenant, and there's no more need for the blood of bulls and goats. When Jesus Christ said it was finished and he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, it was finished. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world and he sealed, I don't want to say sealed the deal, but this is the new covenant that he was the mediator of. The finished work of the cross of Christ. No more would the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices be required. Because the sinless blood of Jesus Christ covered all sins. Past, present, future. And honestly, any other sacrifice that were to have taken place after he died from a Levitical Jewish system is, I think, an abomination. Because it's basically, it's basically like saying, no, your, your blood, Jesus Christ, wasn't good enough. I'm not coming down on the Jews, I'm just saying, from a biblical standpoint, you know, Jesus Christ paid it all. He was the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews 8.6 But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. It's better than the Old Testament Levitical law system. What Jesus Christ gave us. 
which he established upon better promises. It's a huge improvement. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. He's the end of the law. What to everyone that believeth. What does that imply? Faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for you you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, works will follow faith. And you can, if done in the right way, yes, you could show someone's faith by your works, and the Bible is clear on that, but you can't put the cart before the horse. That's the biblical. You can't say, okay, faith saved me. See my works? That's what I'm trusting in. That's having faith in your works. Showing your faith by your works is having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the things that we're talking about today in the Bible, and that as a byproduct of that, as a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in you, then you're going to manifest, works are going to follow as a natural byproduct. Fruits, fruit of the Spirit. These types of things that I've already mentioned. And that's another very important point when I just went over. Okay, so let's go further here. Okay, so Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, every single one of these verses are in this teaching. Just so you know. Uh, Romans six fifteen through 18 What then shall we sin because... We are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Now, I want to give this verse as a contrast to say, okay, it just, just doesn't mean we go around and live like the devil. Okay. Shall we sin because we're not under the law? The Bible is very clear. We're not under the law. I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. Hopefully, just from the verses I gave. But under grace, God forbid, know ye not that whom ye yield your servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Romans 7.7 What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. The law, the Bible also says, references that is our schoolmaster, to bring us under repentance. So I'm not saying the law is bad, okay, but we're under a different system now than Old Testament Levitical law. Jesus Christ, the mediator of a better covenant. But the law... Um, showed us the sin the, by, by, by the law. Now, granted, there's certain things in the law now from a, from a ceremonial Jewish Levitical standpoint that wouldn't apply anymore. You know, letting your beard grow a certain way and, you know, making sure you don't combine uh, types of clothing. I mean, there, there's, there's certain things that, not to say there's not wisdom that can't be derived from those things, but a lot of those are actually ceremonial types of issues in in um, specific for an Old Testament Levitical Jew that wouldn't apply to a New Testament Christian today. That's the only point I'm trying to make there. Okay, so, 
Let's go further. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 through 12. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so that's... um. That's a verse that's also, you know, very important as well. And, um, and then it goes on to say, All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So again, we're not to use our liberty for an occasion in the flesh, essentially, regarding that. So, going further here, Romans three twenty six through 31 says, To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what, by what law? Of works? Nay, but the law of faith. Okay, so let me read that again, because it's, it's a tiny bit confusing in the way that I said it. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Okay, so we're, we're, we're justified by those that, those that believe in Jesus are justified. Then it says, where's boasting? Um, by what law of works? And then it says, nay, meaning it means no, not of works, but by the law of faith. Therefore, conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We're justified by faith. Without the deeds of the law, which would imply works. You're saved, you know, by grace, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is a confirmatory verse for that. goes on to say, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which will justify the circumcision, meaning the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcision, meaning the Gentiles, through faith as well. Whether you're Jew or Greek or Gentile, bond, free, Scythian, as the Bible talks about, y'all get to heaven the same way. <laughs> That's it. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. So we're actually establishing the law through faith. But Christ is the end of the law to them that believe. So... What will happen with people in the Hebrew Roots movement, or in Seventh-day Adventist, particularly if they want to key on Sabbath, all, what they'll do is they'll just isolate verses. That's how, they, that's how they do this. They'll typically not even use a King James Bible. They'll use some other perverted Levin Bible. And um, they'll just key on certain verses, and then give you their interpretation of them, to the exclusion of the rest of the Bible which is basically how all pseudo-cults get started. And then that's how they do it. Because the people are ignorant of the scriptures, so they're not, they're not, they don't know how to battle. They don't know how to come back. And they're brought into bondage, which is exactly where Satan wants them. 
Hebrews 11, 1 through 8 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We said that. It's the substance of things hoped for. Faith. You're hoping for, you're hoping for a heavenly home. Through your salvation, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through knowing you're a born-again Bible-believing Christian. You're having faith, and I'm just giving you that as an example. For by it, meaning by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Where is that confirmed? John 1. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same in the beginning was God. And it goes on to say, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, uh, the worlds were framed by the word of God, and that literally is Jesus Christ. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He gave an actual blood sacrifice, which is what God said to give. Cain brought you know, the produce and stuff like that, which God rejected. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, meaning Cain. God testifying of his gift, gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. And I wonder was that, if that's in reference to when his blood cried out from the land. He being dead, yet speaketh. The blood of righteous Abel, his blood crying out from the land. That's interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Never thought about that. Uh, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Enoch never died. That's why it's, I think it's a good good likelihood that the two people in the Old Testament that never died, Enoch and Elijah, there's a very good likelihood they're going to be the two witnesses in Revelation. They never died. They never actually lived out their life. And this is, this is before Jesus Christ came. So I think, I mean, to me, they're the two most obvious choices in the Bible. I know a lot of people say it's Moses, but Moses already did die once. Is he going to die again in Revelation? When, you know, Satan finally overcomes the two witnesses? He's going to die two times? I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm being, I'm just trying to like reason logically. I think it's logical would seem like the two, uh, I don't want to get into a big gigantic debate with people about it, but I mean, to me it would just seem like the two most logical. Those are issues to me that we could sit here and argue all day about, and, and a lot of people want me to engage certain issues that I do think are important, but the bottom line is I don't have time with all of this stuff that's being thrown at me, with all the emails I received, receive. You cannot believe how many emails I answer. I mean, it is un... I can't even believe how many emails I answer um, when, as the months go by... I, I just want to give you an example of this. I'm not saying this because I'm bragging or I'm feeling sorry for myself, but here's an example of the kind of... E- now, most of these are individual emails I've answered. Okay, um... Most of these, I mean, a newsletter obviously even takes way more time. To, to, but newsletters, I'm only doing three, four week max, maybe. 
So the vast majority of these emails, I'm literally responding to. I don't know how I'm, I'm able to do this. It's got to be the Lord. I don't know. Since I have to go in here and delete it because I'm afraid I'm going to overload my email program. I have to delete a lot. I delete thousands at a time. Since uh, March, April, May, May 11th of last year, 2011, I have sent out 8,459 emails. 8,459. I'm being totally accurate. Actually, I've done more than that because there's another computer I've responded to and that one wouldn't even show up on this one. That's how many emails. <laughs> and that's just one aspect of this ministry. Just one. <laughs> it's not including all the research I have to do every week to compile the PDFs that are usually 20 to 30 pages or more uh, to edit those, to put all that together, to do all the conversions, to do the teaching, to do all the audio conversions, and then to upload them, and then to send it out. So, and it's just one guy. Now, granted, I praise the Lord Jesus Christ for um, Tim and Dan and those that have helped me with the actual website issues. If if God wouldn't have sent, particularly in, the, in recent times, Dan into my life, ah, the website would have been down. There's no way. No way. Because I can't, I don't know what to do about a lot of these things that happen if like a virus attacks the site or something like that. We've had a lot of that lately. So, I'm just talking about the actual ministerial stuff. And then, you know, you're having to live your life, too, on top of that. And so, anyway, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Anyway, um, let's go back to this, this, uh, teaching here. Now, let me X out of this one here so it doesn't... Okay. So, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God hath translated him. And, and again, Enoch basically just was taken from the earth. Not killed, but taken from the earth by God, essentially. So was Elijah. Uh, let's go further here. Uh, he was not found because God had translated him, for before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not yet as not seen as yet, moved with fear, fear of God, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. It was all hinged on faith. Faith is mega important. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out unto the place in which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. So you've heard that, that, that expression, leap of faith? Well, this is kind of an example of that. What Noah did, building the ark, literally starting, you know way, way before the flood ever happened. Abraham, you know, being called out, knowing not whether he actually, where he was actually going. These are examples of, of faith. Hebrews 11.13 then goes on to say, all, the, 
these all died in faith. See, when you die as a Christian, you want to die in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and that he had received the promises offered up of his only begotten son. Going further, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. And then it goes on in Hebrews eleven thirty six through forty to say, and others had trial had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. I mean, I read some of these accounts of these people suffering even now, and you know, that's what I think about that verse right there, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now again, if they had to go through all this, and these are some of the, you know, this is I, this portion of scripture is sometimes referred to as the hall of fame of faith. You know, if these were the ones mentioned in the hall of fame of faith in the Bible, and they went through all this, and Jesus Christ went through what he, a servant is not greater than his master, Jesus Christ said, if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. And if they went through all this thing, don't think that you're above, well, I think a lot of, I hate to say this, but I really do think a lot of Christians in today's day and age, they don't think they're going to suffer a lick for nothing. Uh, but you look at all the biblical examples, you look at all the, the past examples and the modern day examples of people suffering and mar- being martyred, and it's like, uh, huh. yeah, that's not, you know, you need to really get a, a, a perspective on that one. Going further, it says, in all... And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, always boils back to faith, it seems like to me, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, which is Jesus Christ, the mediator of a better covenant, who is the end of the law to them that believe. And again, I get a lot more into those verses in the one that I did on um, of the Hebrew Roots teachings and also the Sabbath. Um, God having provided something better for us, and they without us should not be made perfect. Uh, and they without us should not be made perfect. And then Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, that's the end of this teaching, and there's a bonus section here, which is actually about 31, 30 page bonus section, and it's on the New Testament commandments and the Levitical Sabbath. And I don't want to get into a teaching I've already done, but I give you my teachings that I have done on that, the links, uh, Sabbath versus Sunday worship, the Sabbath, Hebrew roots, Christian Zionism warning, 
uh, the law on the Sabbath, Hebrew roots, Christian Zionism warning, and I, I give you some of the teachings I've done on that. And um, I just, again, just go through the scriptures. The um, I'll just read you the actual comment section for this. And then I'm going to go ahead and end this part. We'll go to the next part. Please notice the Levitical Sabbath is not even mentioned specifically or emphasized anywhere in the following 48 pages of New Testament verses and admonitions, starting on page 13 below. Now, actually, this was in the actual document that, um, I don't know if it's, I think I, I think I amended this so that it is starting on page 13. There are New Testament commandments where Jesus said, Okay, do this, or the or the New Testament said do this. Okay. The people like the Hebrew roots people that want to go back and just emphasize Old Testament Levitical Jewish law, I throw them all these commandments. There's like a thousand of them. Things that we should be doing. Okay? Not earning your way to salvation through works, but guidelines from that standpoint, into the Christian way of living. And I'm like, well, I, 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 what I'll typically do is email them back this thousand plus things the New Testament say we should be doing. I said, well, I hope you're doing all these too. You know? I mean, you need to be doing all these and doing all the other stuff you're talking about. And then I ask them other questions. Like, I hope you're not doing anything on Sunday or, or I mean, the Sabbath. Like, not even going out picking up sticks because... Technically speaking, you're going to get stoned if somebody finds you doing that and they're a strict Sabbatarian keeper. I mean, that's going to hurt, you know, getting stoned on the Sabbath because you were trying to heat your house or do something like that. I mean, you better be careful. I mean, these are Old Testament guidelines. You're going to adhere to them. You better adhere to them all the way. Come on. So, the Levitical Sabbath is not even mentioned specifically or emphasized anywhere in the following 48 pages of New Testament verses and admonitions. It's not even mentioned. <laughs> There's like over 30 pages of these. It's not even mentioned in the New Testament. There's just Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse. And again, I'm not going to go through them. I don't have time today, but you can down look at the PDF. See, see for yourself. Check it out. See what the Bible says. I go on to say, why is it then that there is a sect of professed Christians that are so obsessed with the Levitical Sabbath? While at the same time, I have never personally heard these same people emphasize the verses cited below. They just want to zero in with their microscope on that one issue, and that's what salvation hinges on. I mean, the Seventh-day Adventists take it so far as to say that Sunday worship is, you've already taken the mark of the beast. I mean, total insanity. No, the mark of the beast is a mark in the right hand or in the forehead, as the King James renders it. And without it, you will not be able to buy, sell, or trade in the tribulation, which we're not even in. Oh no, Sunday worships the mark of the beast. Oh, the world according to Mr. Seventh-day Adventist. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying those issues and trying to send me to hell, which is where you're going. If you don't repent and get saved and stop trusting in your cursed works, because they are cursed, and they are an abomination in God's sight. They are a filthy rag in God's sight. We are all together as an unclean, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. 
That's what the Bible says. And that's in the Old Testament. I believe it's Isaiah 64. If the Levitical Sabbath were so important in the lives of a born-again Bible-believing Christian, why does the New Testament seem to totally de-emphasize it? The word Sabbath in its practice is mentioned only up to Acts 18.4. That's it. This was the church's infancy, and the vast majority of believers at this point were Jews, were literal, physical Jews from Israel, which had always kept the Sabbath their whole life. But why then, if the Sabbath was so crucial... Is the Sabbath not emphasized or prioritized in the rest of the New Testament? Also, why then are the Sabbath keepers going about to judge and many times condemn all those that do not keep the Sabbath? Why would I say that? Let no man, because the Bible says in Colossians 2, 16-17, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or in new moon or in Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. They're not supposed to be judging me. Well, no, you're going to hell, according to Seventh-day Adventists, or the Hebrew Roots people, because you don't keep the Sabbath. Oh, oh I hope you're keeping it strict. You know, I really do. Because your own tongue is going to condemn you when you stand before God. You can't keep it. You're not keeping it strict. I don't know anybody that does that. It says, let no man judge you anyway. In meat or in drink, which means food. Or in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon, or of Sabbath days. And I don't mean celebrating pagan holidays either. So I don't think that lets you off the hook to celebrate. Say, well, yes, I could celebrate Saturnalia. I mean Christmas, Xmas, which is the birth date of the sun god Tammuz. I mean the birth of the son of God. Jesus. No, it's not. Not the birth of Jesus Christ. You can call it that all day long. But when the Catholics come along and Christianize all the pagan holidays, which is exactly what they did, and I've done teachings on every single one of these, just key in whatever holiday you want to know about in the search box at contendingfortruth.com. Ishtar, Easter, named after the goddess Ishtar, has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, that's for sure. Halloween, Christmas, Xmas, whatever you want to call it. I need to do one on Valentine's Day. That, I, I need to do one on that. There Actually, there's quite a few more I could actually do. It's just it's hard to find the time. But anyway, um, that's all I'm going to say about that. My audio links are here in that. I've already done several teachings on this subject. Um, I think it's a good... This was just a study kind of tying together a lot of things I've... Studies I've done on in the past um, that are important from a biblical perspective, and, and hopefully this will just kind of expand on that and give you further clarification. So, um, I'm over time on this one. Um, God bless you, and we're going to go to part, the next part, which is another dedicated study, and uh, we'll go from there. God bless. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. 
or on the internet, PayPal, can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.